Tuesday. God bless the Lone Star State. I think God blesses every state, doesn't he? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Wondering how I'm going to get through all this information. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which went to Bernie last night, I hear. On AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And, of course, coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and, of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure. And it is indeed one of those. Uh, Super Tuesday is now behind us, and it was was a big Super Tuesday on, on both sides of the aisle for both Republicans and Democrats and a lot has gone on in the hours since the polls have closed. We now know that Donald Trump, as if we didn't know before, but we now know that Donald Trump uh, really swept Super Tuesday, not entirely, not entirely enough to uh, vanquish all of his opponents. But, um, well, in any event, he he scored uh, seven wins reportedly. In Virginia, where Marco Rubio had been hoping to make some, uh, uh, hoping perhaps to get a win, Rubio did come in a, a pretty close second overall. But you know, for a guy considered to be the uh, savior of the party at this point, yeah, that second place win in Virginia was not so great. So Trump wins Virginia, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Massachusetts, Arkansas, and. Vermont in a very uh, in a pretty tight race there with uh, with John Kasich. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz, who God blesses everything and everybody and everywhere he goes, he won the great state of Texas. And that was a big win for him with uh, something like 99 delegates. That's going to keep him in the race for a while. Of course, it is his home state. So that's understandable. Next door to that home state is Oklahoma, where he, Ted Cruz, also won. Ted Cruz also won Alaska late, 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 late last night. Uh, Here was Ted Cruz uh, before the Alaska win, but after Texas and Oklahoma uh, in in a clip that uh, Desi. uh, Hi, Desi Doyen, by the way. How are you? (laughs) I'm Our producer uh, that uh, Desi, you and I have have uh, taken to describing as Captain Obvious. This much is certain. 
January 20th, 2017, will be President Obama's last day in office. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I know. And on that day, we will have a new President of the United States. You know, yeah. They cheer like it's the second like coming of Christ. Yeah, or like he's but, doing it. Like yeah. he's getting rid of him. Yes, he will be vanquished by the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, uh, Captain anyway. Obvious. Yes, yes. There he you go. really is such a drama queen. Yes, he it is. is. It is kind of scary, he... but interesting that you know you noted that he won Alaska, Texas, and Oklahoma, mm -hmm. the three strong oil patch states. Oh yeah. So right. that is something to keep in mind that. Uh, folks went for that. Uh, good point. Uh, good thinking. Uh, also, okay, so Trump gets seven states. Cruz gets three states. Rubio, who looked like he was going to get uh, nothing, nothing, despite being the supposed savior of this party, he did win. He won in Minnesota, uh, the caucus up in Minnesota. He uh, Trump placed third behind Cruz up in Minnesota. Rubio vows to stay in as the uh, only hope to the uh, Trump Cruz possibilities for the party. Uh, he says he'll certainly stay in through Florida, which is winner take all on March 15. But Rubio is far, far behind, according to the pre-election polls in Florida. So good luck there, Senator. Uh, in the meantime, John Kasich uh, also as a potential alternative to Don uh, to Donald Trump. Didn't win any states, but he did place a very close second, for whatever that's worth, in Vermont. Uh, he, he lost to Donald Trump by just about 1,500 votes. Now, that doesn't sound like all that many votes, except there was a really, really small number of voters at all that took, uh, took part in the Vermont contest. Uh, so that was uh, actually his second place finish was three points off of Donald Trump. He'll stay in at least until Ohio. So he says that's coming up as well as a winner take all state on March 15. So uh, that day is everything. Uh, March 15 for Kasich, it, for Kasich, for Rubio, for the Republican Party. Frankly, I think it's kind of over for them. It's going to be Trump and it's just going to be, uh, you know, it's all over. Of, but the shouting uh, as yeah, it were. and the bleeding. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the day to look forward to. In the meantime, it looks like it's Trump all the way. Oh, and finally, yes, there was a fifth person running. Uh, let's see. Trump wins seven races. Cruz wins three. Rubio wins one. Kasich doesn't almost wins one. And then there's Ben Carson. Oh, poor Ben Carson. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he uh, had a big goose egg. On Super Tuesday, was able to win no states to nobody's surprise whatsoever. Uh, the only surprise is that he was still in the race at all at this point. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, he didn't want to drop out right after Iowa and prove uh, Ted Cruz right when Ted Cruz was saying that uh, Carson was getting ready to drop out just before the uh, actually during the Iowa caucuses. In any event, Carson now says that he, quote, sees no path forward for him. I'm only wondering what took him so long to see that, since he's supposed to be a brain surgeon with <laughs> really good eyes and stuff like that. But anyway, he no longer sees a path forward. He will sit out Thursday night's GOP debate and then give a speech on uh, on Friday or an announcement on Friday, likely officially dropping out of the race entirely. So there you go. Thanks, Ben Carson. Thanks for everything. And we didn't even for the last I don't know how many days I've been walking around uh, coming to, to do the show every day with that truth serum stuff. Remember, he said that 
torture torture was okay but we could use truth serum which of a medical doctor yeah as if he actually knows what he's talking about which he doesn't no it turns out he doesn't but he's seen a lot of movies and they've used truth serum in those movies back in the 50s well based on that i'm qualified to be president well that's true and you are more qualified than Ben Carson, by I the way. I have seen a lot of movies. You know more more stuff than he does, to be frank. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Dave Wasserman, uh, the election analyst at uh, Cook Political Report, and I think he's over at 538.com right now, he you know, took a look. This was last night while the results were coming in. By his estimation, Rubio would have needed some 203 delegates last night to be on track for the 1,237 that are needed uh, by June in order to win the Republican nomination. So he Rubio would have needed 203 delegates. He won, it looks like, uh, let's see, just he ended up winning 94, Marco oh. Rubio. Yeah. Ted Cruz, he needed 302 delegates to be on track to win the nomination, according to Dave Wasserman, 302 delegates. He got only... 209 delegates. Uh, Donald Trump, by Dave Wasserman's estimation, needed some 225 delegates on Super Tuesday. Donald Trump ended up winning 237. More than required. More than required. He is on his way, much as we told you he would be way, way, way back last summer when uh, nobody else was telling you that. So uh, this led to uh, and it is leading to what is really now. uh, Well, S.E. Cup, the uh, uh, right wing commentator on CNN, uh, may have said it best last night. We have been waiting for the candidate to come around who would harness the enthusiasm of the Republican electorate since Reagan. We got got him. He's just going to destroy the party in the process. Oh, yes, there's that. Uh, There is now a civil war. Uh, really, the, the civil war I think that we've been waiting for for years in this party is now looking like it may actually be erupting or getting ready to erupt, erupt, uh, not not just in the Republican Party, but also in the so-called conservative movement. You know, it would be one thing if you had Donald Trump, you know, wiping out the party establishment by himself, but he's, you know, splitting the vote in many of these states with uh, with Ted Cruz, who whose supporters regard him as the real conservative in this race. So there's a civil war now, both in the Republican Party and the so-called conservative movement. That's going to be fun. I've got a great example of that that uh, maybe I'll get to uh, a, a little bit later. But uh, folks can look up, go Google Travis County GOP, apoplectic over new chairman. Go look who they elected last night down in Travis County, Texas, to be the new chairman of the GOP down there. It's kind of remarkable. Maybe we'll get to it in a little bit, but I think it underscores just exactly the war that is going on inside this party at the time. Uh, and it's only going to get crazier. Okay, uh, speaking of crazy, let's go to the Democrats Uh, (laughs) on Super Tuesday. Hillary Clinton uh, absolutely uh, swept in a whole bunch of states, seven states last night in Texas, big states too, Texas, Virginia, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, which is her home state, sort of, Alabama, Massachusetts, which is one that Bernie Sanders was really hoping to win, 
But it looks like, uh, and, and it was close, but it looks like it's going to uh, to Hillary Clinton. Sanders, in the meantime, managed to win his home state of Vermont by huge, by huge yes, numbers. Huge. Thank you. Numbers uh, in Vermont. He also won Oklahoma, which was a surprise to some people. Uh, he won the caucuses in Colorado and the caucuses in Minnesota. So he took four states to Clinton's seven but his states were a lot smaller. Clinton's were a lot bigger. As uh, Harry Enten over at uh, 538 described it, Bernie Sanders emerged victorious in four states. But his victories tended to come by smaller margins and in smaller states. Sanders has won in relatively small states where black voters make up less than 10 percent of the population. That's not going to work this year, he says, when black voters are likely to make up more than 20 percent of Democratic primary voters nationwide. As she did in Nevada and South Carolina, Clinton won huge margins of black voters. Her her uh, worst performance was in Oklahoma, where 71% of black voters in the Democratic primary chose her. So even where she didn't d- you know, d- do as well with black voters, she still won 71%. In Oklahoma, in Alabama, she won 93 percent of the black vote on her way to winning 78 percent of Democrats overall. Clinton took no less than 64 percent of the over of the overall vote in the southern states that she won. And there were a lot of southern states. It was uh, weighted towards that and the uh, the higher African-American population down there. But. As uh, 536 points out, 538. Uh, thank you. 538 points out. It's been one of those weeks. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't just black voters either. Clinton dominated with Hispanics down in Texas. There had been some question about how Hispanics voted in Nevada, but there was little doubt in Texas. They write the exit poll showed Clinton with a 42 percent, uh, 42 percentage point win among Hispanics. Those results, they say, bode well for Clinton in states such as Arizona, California, Florida and New Mexico all to come up. Sanders needs a fundamental shift in the race. They write the votes on the Democratic side so far have been fairly predictable based on demographics. And it just so happens that those demographics favor Clinton. So there you go, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, It it doesn't look good for your candidate. That said, we've been talking about this the last couple of days. This drives me absolutely nuts. All right. Before Super Tuesday, Hillary Clinton was leading Bernie Sanders in the delegate count, but only barely 113 to 66. Just a, a difference of 47 delegates. Hardly even noticeable, to be frank. But if you looked at the uh, at the mainstream media reporting on it, the corporate media, New York Times, Washington Post, Google, as we talked about this week, it looked like Hillary Clinton was wiping Sanders out. And that's because they were including these so-called superdelegates who are not actually pledged delegates. They can vote for whoever they want when they get to the convention in uh, over the summer. They don't have to vote for uh, either Clinton or Sanders, no matter what they tell the media. And I'm not sure why it is that the media continue to report on this, because, in fact, if uh, Bernie Sanders was ahead by the time they got to the to the uh, uh, Democratic nominating convention, it seems 
almost inconceivable that these superdelegates, these party insiders, elected officials, party insiders and so forth, that they would vote for that they would vote against the guy who received the most delegates from actual voters. And yet it continues to be reported uh, like this. Uh, now, where are we in, in since Super Tuesday? Well, since Super Tuesday, Clinton now has, again, taking these superdelegates, these unpledged delegates out of the mix. Clinton now has 596 to Sanders 399. Uh, it's getting to be a much larger difference, an actual difference of 197 delegates. However, more than 2,000 are needed to win the nomination, 2,383. And we have a 197-vote uh, delegate difference between the two candidates. You wouldn't know that if you, you know, watch CNN, if you watched MSNBC, if you uh, read uh, New York Times and, and uh, Washington Post, if you looked it up on Google, it looks like he's done. He's through. He's finished. Now, he might be. But the voters haven't decided that yet. You know, so 197 vote difference. Michigan alone next week has 138 delegates. The week after that, March 15. Florida has 200, and this is all on the same day, March 15. Florida has 214 delegates up at, uh, at stake. Illinois has 156. North Carolina has 107. Ohio has 143. And again, the difference between the two is just 197 right now. And there are many, many, many other states as well, including California, which on its own in June, way down there, not until June, California has 475 delegates to award. Now, unlike the uh, Republicans who, as of March 5th, start doing winner-take-all, if you win the state by even one vote, you take all of their delegates. Uh, the Democrats don't do that. These will remain uh, put, uh, given out to the candidates proportionately. But still, there are a lot of delegates out there, and I think it's irresponsible uh, the way this is being reported by The New York Times, by Washington Post, by Google. AP is even worse. Looking this up this morning, uh, I was looking at the AP delegate uh, tracker. They make no distinction whatsoever between pledged and unpledged delegates in their delegate tracker. Today, it's simply Clinton destroying Bernie Sanders 1,034 to 408. I, and, and you know, these other papers and so forth, at least if you looked closely, you would see the difference between the superdelegates and the actual pledged delegates that people voted for. AP? No, they don't do that at all. It's Sanders is being destroyed. Which then brings up that narrative of why he's not getting out of the race already. Which yeah, why we doesn't saw, he get out? Get we out saw of quite way. a bit of that yeah. on, on, you know, the coverage that we were watching last night, uh, canvassing the different uh, cable networks and seeing that they were all basically making it sound like, well, Sanders is pretty much done. But he's not. Well, based on this, you he's know, not, the, he, he might be. He might be. We don't know. But let the voters decide. Now, I, you know, I understand why the Democrats have this idea of superdelegates in the first place. You know, this, you know, if the party, if the voters nominated somebody insane, 
then the party insiders would somehow be able to override them. It's totally undemocratic, but they would be able to maybe, maybe save the Democratic Party. At this point, the GOP probably wishes they had a similar system. <laughs> the GOP probably wishes that they could get to the party in August and, uh, you know, the party insiders could say, yeah, no, we're not going to go with, uh, uh, w- with Donald Trump. But... There is no reason, even though the Democrats might have a reason to do this, there's no reason that media ought to be playing along with this fiction. It absolutely ill serves the electorate. And I know I sound like I'm, you know, supporting Bernie here or something, but really I am not. I'm trying to support the voters. And more importantly, I'm trying to demonstrate how the corporate media dishonestly puts its thumb on the scale for whatever reason. And we'll go maybe into that another day. But that seems to be what they're doing on purpose or not. Voters deserve much better. Speaking of voters deserving much better. We talked yesterday about uh, the Election Protection Group, uh, 866-HOUR-VOTE, which is a coalition, a nationwide nonpartisan coalition of election integrity groups. Um, And some of the problems that they were having with touchscreen voting, uh, touchscreen votes flipping down in Texas, uh, with Democratic voters being given Republican candidates on Republican uh, ballots on touchscreen systems in Georgia. Uh, and other problems. Um, They go on to say uh, by the end of the day yesterday, they said they had received more than 2,000 calls to the 866-hour-vote hotline. The majority of the calls came from Texas and Georgia, states that had been covered previously by the Voting Rights Act due to their history of uh, racial discrimination down there until the Supreme Court gutted that law. Well, some uh, a few more uh, calls that they highlighted in their end-of-day press release, down in Harris County, Texas. That's Houston, right? Yes, that's Houston. Our Texas expert, (laughs) our expert. The caller's grandmother was registered as a Republican, they report, and went to the Democratic polling site in Houston. A poll worker incorrectly told the voter that she could not vote outside of her party. But in fact, she could have. The Democrats had an open primary down in Texas. After requesting the intervention of an election judge, the voter was allowed to to vote. But the poll worker said that she had been sending people away all day for not being registered to the Democratic Party. In uh, Tarrant County, this is amazing, uh, also Texas, where that's Fort Worth. Yes, where three courts have now found their photo ID restriction law to be un, to be illegal and unconstitutional, but that finding has been stayed as the court is appealing. Therefore, the photo ID restriction it was in place on Super Tuesday, where Election Protection uh, reports that a Department of Homeland Security employee was told that his TSA photo ID was not a valid form of ID. A poll worker made several several inquiries with their supervisors and told the voter that he needed to vote using a provisional ballot. He was not <laughs> allowed to vote, even though he had a government issued a, ID, a government Department of Homeland Security photo ID. That was no good in the state of Texas. Over in Georgia, the election protection program secured emergency relief for voters by securing an additional hour of voting time because of overcrowding. 
A county official told voters to leave and come back in an hour, causing about 30 to 40 voters to leave from this precinct. Uh, a complaint to the 866-Our-Vote hotline estimated that she had been in line for about an hour and 15 minutes before she could cast a ballot. She further said that there were five poll workers who were examining voters' ID. They had plenty of people to do that to look at their uh, IDs coming in and do the initial check-in, but that there were only two poll workers issuing voting cards to Georgia voters to go and cast their 100% unverifiable touchscreen votes across the state of Georgia. So that led to huge uh, problems. Back to Texas, uh, there were ballot shortages. Killeen ran out of ballots at about 6 p.m., I guess they use paper ballots there. The voter said that the site had run out of ballots at several points throughout the day. The poll worker had locked the doors on voters who had initially left after being told that there would that there were no more ballots. They told people, go home. We are out of ballots. And uh, the group had to call county officials. Poll workers were called in and instructed to let the voters back into the polling location and to wait for ballots to be delivered. Uh, meanwhile, over in Tennessee, where we have uh, our affiliates, uh, D- this was in uh, where's South Knoxville. Uh, our, our shout out to our affiliate uh, Detour Talk in uh, in East Tennessee. Some voters in Knoxville were frustrated on Super Tuesday after voting booths stopped working altogether at the South Knoxville Community Center. The voting machines were down for about 90 minutes. Many had to, people had to go to work without casting their ballots at all. Teresa Watlington said they didn't get to vote and they were upset because they had to stand in line. Some people had to work all night and they thought they'd come in, stand in line and vote. A new machine was eventually brought into the polling place and about 25 people came back. So that's one of the problems when you have touchscreen systems that you can't vote on when they go down. You know, when when the uh, computer op scan systems go down, at least you can still vote on a paper ballot. And those votes can be tabulated later on at the county headquarters. They're still not verified, however, by human beings, even when they're counted on these paper ballot op scan systems. And that is a concern like all of these issues, particularly when we get to the, you know, to the general election. All of these problems that you see coming up, and there were at least 2000 of them to the 866 Our Vote hotline. They are indicators of what is going to happen when the voting turnout is really big, really big in November. So that's 13 states with problems on Super Tuesday versus all 50 states at the general election in November. Well, not just all 50 states at the same time, but all 50 states at the same time with a way, way bigger voter turnout. So and here's one more example. And this is why I always tell you guys at closing time, uh, the polls try to be there, try to take photos of the tapes that are printed off the machines while they're counting, even in paper ballot locations. Boston Magazine reports that former Virginia Governor Jim Gilmore won the municipality of Chelsea in Massachusetts on Tuesday, according to results, even though he has dropped out of the Republican race months ago. Remember Jim Gilmore, former Virginia governor? Gilmore's win could be attributed to his place at the top of the ballot. He was uh, the first one listed on this particular ballot. And that is a real political phenomenon, they point out, that has been pointed to, that people at the top of the ballot tend to do better. That's why they rotate them in most places uh, or put them on there randomly. But 
the idea that he won, uh, this was only in this case, 364 votes. Uh, actually, the tapes show here 366 votes. He won. He wiped out everyone, including Donald Trump, who only won 18 uh, percent. So Jim Gilmore got 47 percent for reasons that nobody understands. Donald Trump got just 18 percent and then everyone else uh, barely you know, was in single digits and so forth. Is that legitimate? Well, seems highly unlikely. Right now, the explanation is that Chelsea, the municipality, is saying they think that the programming may have been just one line off. So, and we've seen this before. This is, again, with paper ballot optical scan systems. When you don't bother to count the paper ballot, the computers that do tabulate them can tabulate them right or wrong. Nobody knows unless they bother to pay attention. And in this case, paper ballot systems, it looks like they were made by uh, Diebold, Premier Diebold became premier. Then they were purchased by a company called Dominion from Canada. That's what they appear to use in uh, in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is in the county of Suffolk. Uh, and, uh, well, <laughs> it seems hard to believe that those numbers are correct, that Jim Gilmore actually destroyed all of the competition, including Donald Trump. In this, one county one, in Massachusetts. One city, one town, one village, whatever they call this, so one <laughs> municipality uh, in Massachusetts seems highly unlikely. Thankfully, we have noticed it. Maybe they'll go back and count those paper ballots by hand and uh, do exactly what they should do all over the country when it comes to paper ballots. Count them by hand. Don't wait for someone to show up on Twitter, as they did in this case. Uh, said, uh, somebody please explain this ridiculous official tally from the GOP primary in Chelsea, Massachusetts, and pointed to this summary report, summary report showing Jim Gilmore, the winner of the Republican uh, primary, <laughs> In the village of Chelsea, Massachusetts. Um, there you go. My thanks to uh, emailer Ed for sending that one in to me. You can also drop me a line. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, we got a lot more to cover. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with more on this entire fine mess. And uh, speaking of email, uh, a bunch of feedback from a um, from an interview we did earlier this week. So stay tuned for that. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. By taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Ah! You say you want a revolution. 
well, you know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Bernie Sanders uh, supporters are still hoping for that revolution to arrive. And we will talk about that in a moment. But I want to uh, mention on that last item, uh, because uh, Ed, the emailer who uh, shot me a note at bradcast at bradblog.com, concerning Jim Gilmore and concerning the fact that somehow he managed to win 47% of the vote in Chelsea, Massachusetts, just destroying Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and everyone else in Chelsea, Massachusetts, and the fact that uh, the numbers are probably wrong. The fact that the Diebold optical scan uh, computers that they use to tally paper ballots in Chelsea, Massachusetts, were probably misprogrammed for whatever reason. I don't know. I haven't gotten to talk to them yet in Chelsea. Uh, could have been an accident, could have been on purpose, who knows? But clearly something was wrong with the programming that Jim Gilmore ended up winning in the town of Chelsea. Um, he points out that any candidate and any resident of Chelsea, Massachusetts, can file for a recount within five days and with either five co-signatures gathered within 10 days or 50 signatures, depending on the request. I haven't gotten to look up the, the, the laws out there in Massachusetts for recounts. But uh, if anyone is within the, uh, the sound of my voice out there near Chelsea, Massachusetts, you might want to get in touch with somebody there because uh, they, they must also, he points out, specify that they want a hand recount by hand, by human beings, with actual eyeballs. Otherwise... <laughs> They just run the ballots back through the same optical scan machines that pretty clearly miscounted them in the first place. Unless there is this big, great big uh, groundswell for Jim Gilmore in Chelsea that no one knows about. Apparently it is a mostly uh, Hispanic, dense urban area across the river from historic downtown Boston where they either love G Jim Gilmore or the voting uh, vote tallying computers were completely wrong for some reason. Some reason that would require an actual examination of the uh, paper ballots there, a hand recount. So they can get that if they want, if any voters out there in Chelsea, Massachusetts would like to know uh, and would like to know how those machines. By the way, those are the same machines. We've talked about them for years, the same ones that were seen in the uh HBO Emmy-nominated documentary Hacking Democracy that can be hacked in such a way that it flips votes in such a way that you would never know that it had actually flipped votes unless you bothered to count the paper ballots. You can see that happen. You can see that mock election happen before your eyes on the Diebold voting machines, which someone was able to get access to uh, and, and, and reprogram in such a way that you would never know the machines were hacked unless you bothered to count the paper ballots. So there you go. All right. Uh, speaking of, uh, I'm sure we'll return to that issue between now and November. You think? And thereafter. Well, nobody else does. This kind of seems like this stuff should matter. Kind of seems like this stuff is important. 
Kind of seems like if we're going to go through all of this trouble and spend all of these billions of dollars on the elections, we should have a goddamn electoral system that we can oversee and that we can know is actually accurate. Instead of having to go fight, you know, if they do ask for a, a recount, now voters have to get together. They'll probably have to pay money if it's anything like it is out here in California. Voters are required to pay for the recount. We should get it right on election night. In here in the world's greatest democracy, which I put air quotes around and I smirk knowingly. Okay, anyway, uh, speaking of how the voters voted uh, or should vote or may vote, who knows? We spoke earlier this week uh, on this program with uh, Nathan J. Robinson, the, the, the editor of Current Affairs magazine. He's a Ph.D. student uh, at Harvard, children's book author, and he pointed out, he made the case in a feature story at the magazine, at Current Affairs, that if Hillary Clinton wins the nomination, say hello to President Trump. And he says that the polls uh, showing that both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton would defeat Donald Trump are somewhat misleading. They don't take into account a number of other factors that he does take into account in his article. And I'll, I'll hit some of those in a moment because uh, I've gotten a lot of email on this. A lot of people responding at, uh, to me via email, bradcast at bradblog.com with some thoughts. I'll get to some of those in a second. But we've got another one of these polls that came out on uh, on Super Tuesday. This is from CNN ORC, uh, finds both Senator Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton would beat presidential frontrunner Donald Trump in a general election, according to the CNN ORC poll of national voters released on Tuesday morning. Sanders led Trump with a 12 point lead, 55 to 43 percent. In the uh, in the January iteration of the poll, Sanders only led by three points. Now he leads Trump by 12 points. Sanders also beats uh, Marco Rubio by eight points, Ted Cruz by 17 points in head-to-head matchups. Clinton also beat Trump, uh, but with just an eight-point lead. So Bernie Sanders beats him by by 12. Hillary Clinton only beats Trump by eight. But that is a sharp increase. She had only beat him by one to two points. Uh, back in uh, the December and January versions of that same poll. So she's doing a little bit better there. Clinton, however, lost to Rubio by three points, lost to Cruz by one point in the same head-to-head matchup. So clearly, Bernie Sanders is still, we don't have a lot of these, uh, but Bernie Sanders still does better against all of the possible Republican opponents this fall. And yet, for some reason, Clinton is still perceived as more electable than Bernie Sanders. It should be noted here that both uh, the both of the Democratic candidates also beat Trump, even if former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg ran as an independent. And this was a poll taken uh, in, in late February, the last days of February. Nonetheless, as we discussed uh, earlier this week on the program, Nathan J. Robinson says that polls like that don't take into account things like Donald Trump and Donald Trump's particular campaigning style. Uh, where he just destroys, where he just rolls over with personal attacks of all kinds, uh, rolls over his opponents, as we have seen in the Republican race. 
Meanwhile, the answer uh, to that from Hillary, uh, from the Hillary uh, Clinton campaign and her supporters is that, well, Bernie does better against Donald Trump because they haven't thrown everything that they will throw against the self-declared democratic socialist. Oh, just wait until the Republicans get their fangs into him. They will destroy Bernie Sanders. That's the claim from Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, and there may be something to that. They say that, you know, pretty much everything has already been thrown at Hillary Clinton all of the years that she's been in the spotlight. But as Nathan J. Robinson pointed out, that doesn't take into account Donald Trump's particular style. He uh, Nathan pointed out that, you know, if Trump isn't the uh, the nominee for any reason, that all bets are off, at least as far as his analysis was concerned. Well, uh, some people uh, agreed with that analysis from uh, Nathan J. Robinson. Others did not. A bunch of you sent me uh, email and comments on it. Uh, Rico in Pittsburgh says, I ain't scared of no Trump. Trump is uh, apparently Donald Trump's actual family name. Well, yes. John was... Oliver pointed out. Right. His family came over with right. the name of Drumpf, D-R-U-M-P-F, from right. Poland, and that was changed to Trump, I guess, by his grandfather or his great-grandfather. Right. Uh, so he says, I ain't afraid of no Trump. Hi, Brad. I believe that many people on the liberal side have completely lost their, lost their perspective on the issue of Trump and his electability, and in the process have lost their minds. The latest broadcast with your guest, Nathan Robinson, was a textbook example of this. While his contention that Trump could do more damage to Hillary than Bernie with his World Wrestling Federation rhetorical style is possibly true, totally lost in focusing on such things is the question of whether Trump himself could possibly survive the scrutiny and exposure he would get in a general campaign. To me, the answer to that is hell no, says Rico. I mean, aside from an element of the Republican Party basically disgruntled with white guys and those afraid of their own shadows, who admittedly comprise a good deal of that party, who else is going to support this guy, especially once his buffoonish brand of fascism is spotlighted in an actual campaign? Do you really think he's going to persuade any women, blacks, Latinos, young voters or educated people of any stripe to vote for him once he is completely exposed to the light like the spray tanned cockroach that he is? I don't. Heck, even many Republicans won't be able to hold their nose and vote for Trump. And that's true. A lot of Republicans uh, won't won't vote for him. But I would argue to uh, Rico in in response uh, that is very similar to what a lot of people were saying about Donald Trump, oh, last summer or so. That who in their right mind would get behind this guy? Well, a lot of them, a lot of people are getting behind this guy, including Republicans, including Democrats. Most of 20,000 Massachusetts Democrats who have dropped their party official uh, affiliation to vote in the GOP primary on Super Tuesday in Massachusetts will support Donald Trump, says David Paleologos, director of the Suffolk University poll. Uh, Massachusetts Secretary of State William Galvin says these voters are now unenrolled, so they became unenrolled so they could vote in Tuesday on the Republican side meaning that they have no registered party affiliation. And uh, the secretary of state there, 
Secretary of the Commonwealth, said that this is not strategic voting where voters jump to to the opposite party's primary to support a candidate they think will be weak in the general election. He said in email to Bloomberg that uh, Trump crosses o- crosses over like Massachusetts voters on issues like Social Security, Planned Parenthood, super PACs and other social issues. So, yeah, I do think, Rico, there are a lot of supposed Democrats and independents who will peel off in favor of of Donald Trump in a general election. Rico goes on to say. Uh, Moreover, what you and your guest and so many others have apparently forgotten is that if Bernie's campaign does fail, he, being the upstanding and moral patriot that he is, will work for the Dems in full force and bring his legion of young supporters with him because he and they will recognize how critical it is for the country not to allow such a dangerous person to even come close to holding the reins of power. I do realize that this is the same country that elected Reagan and W. Sort of, he adds. But I just cannot believe that Trump is capable of the kind of shape-shifting that they pulled off. And thus, he will get destroyed by either Hillary or Bernie. Hell, we could even run Dukakis again and obliterate that man, says Rico. Tell me where I'm wrong. Love ya and your show as ever, Rico in Pittsburgh. Thanks for that, Rico. Um, Well, I've told you a few places I think you may be wrong, Rico. And I know that... uh, All of this, of course, is speculation. But I think it does speak to the idea uh, directly to the idea of Hillary Clinton supporters who say her candidate is more electable. I think there is a lot of question about that assertion. A lot. And uh, I do agree with Nathan Robinson that uh, Trump will have an absolute field day with Hillary Clinton and he will have a much, much harder time going against Bernie Sanders, who will stick to his 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 uh, his issues, uh, you know, with his laser like focus, who won't even entertain those uh, stupid personal attacks that Hillary Clinton will be dragged into. Go back and listen to that show with with Nate Robinson, where I, I read aloud that monologue that he had written uh, of how Trump is likely to go after Hillary Clinton and in ways that will require her to respond. And he made the point that she's historically not very good at those responses when she's attacked. She's not. She tends to go negative and that doesn't play very well. Uh, He'll go after her on the email, which is a, a silly issue, but he'll go after her on Benghazi, which is a ridiculous issue, but he will go after her. He'll go after her with the, you know, Bill Clinton as a woman. There's all kinds of things legitimate and otherwise that he will be able to throw at her that he would not be able to throw at Bernie Sanders. Uh, and there's one other point that uh, ties into all that we've been talking about today. Fred G. writes in to say, Dear Brad, according to today's New York Times, the Clintons envision a close race in November. If it is at all close, the repukes will win through computer fraud. Love and hugs, Fred. I don't know if they will or not, but we have seen uh, what they can do when it is a close election. And if you take the idea... Uh, as the CNN ORC poll outlines here, that uh, they'll both win, that Bernie wins by a big margin, Hillary Clinton win- wins by a less big margin. Well, 
elections are much easier to steal. You don't have to have a close election to steal it. We've seen that in this country. We've seen that over and over again. I won't bore you with that right now. It doesn't need to be close to be able to steal it and steal it in such a way that, you know, either by voter suppression or by uh, fraud with the voting systems themselves. It doesn't need to be close to be able to, to pull that off, but it makes it a lot easier when it is close. And uh, all of these numbers suggest that a Clinton-Trump race would likely, at least the numbers that we know of and the things that we can foresee, would likely suggest it will be a closer race if it is Clinton versus Trump than it would be if it was Sanders versus Trump. All of which makes it easier to peel off, you know, just a few votes here and there, just a few counties here and there, because we don't have national elections. Even if we have a big, huge turnout, we don't have national elections in this country. The winner is not the one who, who wins the popular vote. Just ask Al Gore. It is state by state, and within each state, it is county by county. Just ask John Kerry and ask him about 2004 and just a few counties in Ohio that we were never able to oversee, that we were never able to look at those paper ballots to assure that George W. Bush actually won those counties, where they actually on election night, locked out the media and the press from being able to oversee even the computer counting that was going on. Ask the secretary, ask the former secretary of state of, uh, of Ohio, Jennifer Brunner, about that and the lockdowns that happen and the other shenanigans. So, uh, yeah, you know, when, when I see and I even when Barack Obama was running, I mean, frankly, uh, I could have won Desi Doyen. You could have <laughs> won a ham sandwich could have won if we had run as Democrats in 2008. That's how bad uh, the, the, the Bush years had gone with the collapse of the economy, the Iraq war and everything else. But even then, knowing what I know about the voting system, knowing what I have seen over my uh, what now we're in the 13th year, more than a decade of covering our electoral system. No, I don't have confidence going into any election that anybody who is believed to be winning in the polls is actually going to win once once the uh, counting is done by these computers. Sorry, I just don't. Don uh, leaves an email, I'm sorry, leaves a comment at bradblog.com, says, I'm a big-time Bernie supporter, and I see Hillary as unacceptably corporatist neoliberal. I'm not a fan, but I am realistic, Don says. She might win. Still, I don't see Hillary being as vulnerable against Trump as Nathan Robinson does. She has been through two bruising presidential campaigns with Bill right there in the thick of things, through every attack, every appearance around the country, etc., etc. Also, anyone who watched her at the Benghazi hearings last October saw Hillary at her pinnacle best, powerfully, sometimes almost effortlessly, fending off an entire GOP attack team, and she did it for 11 continuous hours. That's true. He says, I watched at least five to six of those hours, and I have to sheepish, sheepishly admit I was impressed. Trump's debate style could just possibly play right into the hands of a knowledgeable, super smart debater with a judo approach using an opponent's force, uh, force energy against him. Hillary may be able to manage that, says Don, or perhaps not. She might, in my opinion, 
when Trump is asked for policy details, he gets he's got nothing that works for some folks, but not nearly all. That is his potential weakness, which has yet to be properly exploited. Don says, I agree with the opinion that Bernie would make a stronger candidate against Trump than Hillary, but I have yet to be convinced she would fold against the bloviator. Maybe, but maybe not, he says. But if disappointingly, Bernie comes in second, it might be a great idea at the convention for Hillary to defy party elders and invite Bernie onto the ticket as VP. With Bernie as a running mate, most millennials would likely to be st- would be likely to stay involved, which gives the Democrats a big edge. Hillary currently lacks by herself. The Dems would own the minority vote. Progressives would show up too, in my opinion. Don says. Uh, if Hillary does take the nomination, she'd be a fool not to offer the VP spot to Bernie, and she should pray he'd take it. So that comes from Don. Thank you, Don, and thank you to the others who have been uh, contacting me. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. I think Don makes a very good point. It would be a really tough ticket to beat. That said, I don't think Hillary Clinton would ask for it. I think she's going to go for somebody younger who could continue her legacy after she leaves office. Just yeah, me. you're probably right about Just that. Me. But hey, you know, but the points that they make are, yeah. are are very intriguing. It's a very provocative concept that Nathan Robinson brought up. And, you know, the idea that great turnout can overcome all of this is, is questionable now that we know about all the voter suppression laws that are new for 2016, now that we no longer have the protection of the Voting Rights Act. So, you know, the, uh, the suppression, the long lines, the malfunctions, there are so many factors that impact turnout that it's scary to rely on. Other turnout. than that, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump is is so stupid. Uh, what Democrat uh, would possibly lose to him? What could possibly go wrong? I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Ground control to Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on You know, uh, pardon me, Jesse Doyne, but all of this kind of makes me want to just uh, leave the planet and head to Mars. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) That may be possible, though. I may be able to go to Mars uh, soon, according to NASA, soon-ish, right? After, you know, after a couple of terms of President Trump, we'll then uh, have that, well, actually, my hope in covering this particular story was to try to get away from politics for a few blessed minutes. So try it. Sort of, yeah. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Astronaut Scott Kelly returned to Earth on Wednesday after an unprecedented year in space for NASA, landing in barren uh, Kazakhstan with a Russian cosmonaut who shared his whole space station journey. The, uh, their Russian Soyuz capsule parachuted onto the Central Asian steppes and ended a science-rich mission at the International Space Station that began last March and was deemed a stepping stone to Mars. Oh, my escape plan is coming together well. It was a triumphant homecoming for Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko after 340 days in space. Clearly animated and looking well, 
Scott Kelly said he didn't feel much different than he did after his five-month uh, station mission five years ago. Kelly and Kornienko traveled 144 million miles through space, circled the world, world 5,440 times, and experienced 10,888 orbital sunrises and sunsets during the longest single space flight by an American. Before committing to even longer Mars missions, NASA wants to know the limits of the human body for a year minus gravity. This is all working towards sending a manned mission to Mars. Kelly's closest U.S. contender for time and space tra uh, trails him by 125 days. Russia, however, continues to rule. When it comes to long-duration spaceflight, the world record of 438 days was set by a Russian doctor during the mid-1990s. It's incredibly important that we all work together to make what is seemingly impossible possible, said Kelly on Monday after returning safely. For NASA, that mission possible is Mars. Scientists are hoping for more one-year subjects as NASA gears up for human ex expedition to Mars in the 2030s. Radiation will be a top challenge along with body and mind's durability on what will be a two-and-a-half-year round-trip journey to Mars. And what's really special about Scott Kelly, his brother, Mark yep. Kelly, his twin brother, mm -hmm. has been participating in this same experiment so that NASA can study the effect of long-duration spaceflight uh, as compared to his twin brother on the ground on a genetic level. So they're able, he's a retired astronaut, Mark Kelly, they're able to, uh, to, to study him at the same time, at right. the same age. Same genetics. Everything, right. Uh, he, uh, Mark Kelly... That name may sound familiar uh, because he is the uh, wife of former he's, Arizona Congresswoman. He's the husband. I'm sorry, the husband <laughs> of former Arizona Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Uh, so uh, very cool. Very glad to have him back uh, in, in good order. He will now be re reunited. Mark Kelly will be. No, I see. I screwed it up. Scott Kelly will be with his uh, two daughters, ages 21 and 12. Uh, and uh, his his brother and his brother's wife, former Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle so Gifford. So yay NASA, yay taxpayers, you built that. Yep. Or uh, helped build that. Yep. He has now, uh, Kelly has now spent more time in space altogether than any other American with 520 days spent over the course of four missions. His last tweet from space said, the journey isn't over, follow me as I rediscover hashtag Earth. There's an idea. You can follow us on the Twitters and the Facebooks as well. I am the Brad Blog. You can send me email at bradcast at bradblog.com. Of course, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it and all of the other ones with value-added uh, links and information and everything else at bradblog.com. Or going over over to iTunes and uh, subscribe for free to our shows there, and leave us good review. Make it a little uh, easier for everyone else in the world to find in this world and off this world to find us as well. All right, that's it. Oh, we will have more politics ahead. I think we may be talking about Donald Trump tomorrow, but we will see. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.